I'm super, super, super excited to tell you about my sponsor, Southwest Trading Company. Southwest Trading Company is a native-owned business located at 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you've never been to Southwest Trading Company, you need to go check them out. Right now, if you can, or after this podcast, or during the podcast, but either way, go check that store out. They have a lot of great items from different artists from all around, like jewelry, blankets, art, clothing, cedar boxes, indigenous home decor, car accessories, totes, and so much more. You could spend hours in this store. I'm not kidding. I went to the first time and I think I spent like maybe a couple hours maybe just looking around at everything they have. I mean, it's so unique. If you haven't yet, Southwest Trading Company also has a Facebook page. So if you have not yet, go like it and follow their page to keep up with all new items and events they have going on at the store. Once again, I'm super excited that we get to build together. The location for Southwest Trading Company is 1306 East 11th Street, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Go check it out, everybody. Thank you. everybody welcome back to okie podcast on this episode i have a man who is running for osage congress uh my guest today is drew tiger what up Mado? how are you good man how are you i'm doing good brother i'm doing good doing real good yeah i'm just here just um chilling chilling getting um rest and recovery i've uh, recent hip replacement surgery i had last week so Feeling pretty good out and about, and um, you know, I didn't want it to impede on what we're doing from a campaign perspective. So mm-hmm. I forced myself to get up and deal with a little bit of post-op pain, but um, it's all good. It's all good. So feeling better. The main pain that I had is gone. So I couldn't be more pleased. This was supposed to have happened in the middle of June, and I, man, I was just couldn't couldn't take it anymore. So I, the um, scheduler there wanted to. Um, know if i was ready to do it um within a couple of days so i jumped on it and last tuesday we did it wow i know i remember when you messaged me that you're saying you're getting surgery i was like dang <laughs> now you're already out <laughs> crazy i know and i just had my knee done the first yeah. of february so i had two um, joint replacements um within about a 95 day period so yeah my shoulder's starting to tweak a little bit but i'm not doing it anytime this you know anytime soon so mm-hmm. who knows i have two knees and a hip and probably another hip and a shoulder but um but right now it's all good though it's all good no more no more limping around like i did since last summer it looked like i was you know one hip was the left and the knee was on the right so i was like wobbling like a little weeble wobble you know <laughs> so i was walking down their sidewalks <laughs> So no more pain and no more looking like it. So I'm Man. all good. I'm all good. That's good. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Glad to hear you got all got all that situated. So, man. Well, Drew, uh, 
tell the people a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I am Osage Creek or Uchi Creek, Delaware and Chickasaw. Uh, my mom is Osage Chickasaw and my dad is Delaware and Uchi Creek. My dad's parents, um, my grandmother was full blood Delaware and then my grandfather was full blood Uchi Creek. So I was raised on, on the Osage side and predominantly uh, there in Osage County in Pahaska, Indian camp to be specific. So I was raised um, um, just a half a block away from our arbor that um, our Elongska is at and um, was not only uh, raised around our, our dances, but also um, started um, participating in Native American church at a young age. So I was inundated with... Um, a lot of culture at a very young age, um, four or five, started dancing when I was five, and grew up around um, all my Osage um, friends, and my mom at the time, uh, she's a St. John, her name is the late Olivia um, St. John Lookout, but uh, our family name is Champanagi, and I've got a picture from my profile on my Drew Tiger for Congress page where my grandparents, uh, great-grandparents are there. And he is um, came in to become renamed uh, to St. John, and they took the Champanagi away and told him not to speak Osage anymore. And the name actually came from a guard that was standing there because the gentleman uh, that was handing out names ran out of names. And my understanding is that he looked at that guy's lapel and it had St. John on his last name. So he said, well, you'll be a St. John. So if we go to Ancestry.com, we're pulling up somebody else's, you know, Ancestry. <laughs> and it's not our particular one. So that's what, um, you know, our family name. And I love to continue. Um, you know, my, my daughters know that um, Champanagi name. And I think it sounds pretty cool, um, regardless if it's my my family name or not. But, um, yeah, so that's that's the, the primary place was there in Pahuska. And, um Went to school there, and then ended up graduating high school out of Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, from Casha Hall Preparatory School, and um, wanted to kind of venture around, and always had a um, a knack for wanting to live on the East Coast for some for some odd reason, and I thought of New York, but then I ended up going to the left coast, is what I call um, the West Coast, and loved moving out to Los Angeles, and I went to high school there in Tulsa, and didn't know really what I wanted to do, uh, where I wanted to move, but I always had an interest in the arts and that by looking at cinematography, acting, those type of things. And so I went to USC, got accepted to a number of universities around the country and chose uh, USC to um, pursue that. But once I got out there, I realized after talking to several people who not only was in my classes, but teacher base that it was very difficult to get into landing a role in the film um landing a role in cinematography and it was a matter of not what you know but who you know so i got worried about that i knew i needed to eat so bopped around and long story short ended up becoming into it so i have a vast background in information technology um but i did have to experience working through i, I always had a um, interest of challenging myself and I thought about law school until I worked for the second largest law firm in Los Angeles O'Melveny and Myers and didn't realize that their associates that were 
coming out of law school were in the top five in their class, not 5%, but the top five. And they represented Harvard and Yale and Brown, Dartmouth, those type of law programs. And it intimidated me. And so I was like, I'm not going here, you know, because I was like, I couldn't even be the 5% of the credit I gave myself at that point. So quickly decided that wasn't my forte, and um, but enjoyed working there. Learned a lot. And then I became a buyer's assistant for Bullock's, which is like um, uh, Macy's or a Dillard's here locally. So it's a big, large department store, and it was all women working as um, buyers and, and merchant reps and whatnot. So it was a, a good summer job, and I learned a lot about um, how they buy you know, in bulk, how you buy out of season. And I used to go down to the mart and pick up samples of all the dresses and stuff. And I was like one of the only guys doing that, taking a cab down there and picking up all these sample sizes and going into mart and talking to all the different reps. And, and that was pretty cool, you know, because L.A. is pretty fashionable. And coming from Oklahoma, you know, it wasn't fashionable. You know, I had what Wranglers were in fashion or <laughs> Levi's, you know, 501s and, and that type of thing. So. It was an eye-opening experience for me, but I enjoyed it. You know, that was a fun group um, to work with and, and kind of get uh, interested in another aspect of, of um, industry type of experience. But after I left um, Los Angeles, I moved to San Francisco, and I started working as a runner for the Pacific Oak Stock Exchange. And that's where I would just run around and pick up tickets and take them from one area to the other. And you just did that nonstop. And after about a month, I was like, man, this is, uh-uh. I, you know, I was thinking about being a broker, but that's another, you know, you got to be good at BSing because you're basically trying to get money from people to buy things that they can't see. So I moved in. They had an opening and moved me up into the security um portion of of the exchange where i dealt with a lot of security a lot of paper and so that was pretty cool because the the people i worked with they were just laid back every instance that we got to celebrate something it was a potluck so we got to have all this food and um brought up from everyone and i was just pick up ice or cups or something because i you know wasn't cooking like the people that i worked with so Ended up doing that for a while, and then I got an opportunity to work for Chevron, and I went over and became a demerge analyst. And that is where you're working with ships, vessels, big, huge tankers. And either Chevron owns it or somebody's brokering it. And my job at the time, because there was no real way of transmitting data except for faxes, so they would telex us information from the ship onto shore, which came into the office, and I would pull that off, and then I would calculate the time the ship was in dry dock or the ship wasn't operating, and that somebody would have to pay for that. So it was either Chevron paying it or the broker was paying it. So I would just calculate the time that it was in dry dock and then submit that back to whomever would get the bill, for, for per se. So that became pretty cool because you would have maybe eight or nine vessels out around the world going from all over, taking product from point A to point B. And probably two-thirds of the time, people would um, not want to pay. They would like, no, I don't believe this is true. So then I'd have to package everything up and send it over to arbitration, which was a whole other department that consisted of lawyers and whatnot that they handled it from there. So I got, off, got it off my desk. And I enjoyed doing that. I had no clue what going into there what the merge even meant, much less being able to work around 
um, captains from around the world, and they would call come into the office every so often. So uh, you have these captains come in from Italy, for example, and they would be four or five of them at a time, and they would sit at a desk, and they needed to work and help the other masters out there on the water and, and translate and communicate, and that was part of their training. So some of these guys have been doing it for 30, 40 years. Uh, they'd start right when they were 18 years old working on a ship, and they worked their way up. But I was single, and I was the guy they earmarked to take them around after work um, and take them grocery shopping or take them out to dinner or do whatever. And their families were all back home. So about three or four nights, I was hanging out with these Italians, and they didn't speak very good English. So half the time I knew they were talking about me, and they would make fun of me and say things. And I started learning phrases. Of course, you know, they're going to teach you things you shouldn't say. But I learned how to kind of cook around them because they all cooked. And so we would go to these Italian delicatessens, and they would buy all these ingredients. And they would go to my apartment to cook, and they would just leave it. So the whole time that they're there, they're making a mess, a huge mess. And then they would start smoking cigarettes and putting them out in the, in the dishes, and then the pots and stuff, <laughs> I had to go and clean all that up. But um, they taught me how to make some pretty good sauces that I still can make today, um, a couple of them. So uh, that was that was a fun experience. That was a fun time in my life, being able to, to just get familiar with another culture, you know, because coming from Oklahoma, you know, I didn't meet anybody that was Italian. Um, about as Italian as we got was Pizza Hut. You know, you know what I mean? So <laughs> yeah. there wasn't a lot of diversity outside of... Um, Pahuska, especially Indian camp. And so leaving San Francisco, um, you know, I worked part-time for Neiman Marcus and Macy's during Christmas, but the Neiman Marcus turned into a part-time for about a year and a half or so, I think, is about what I worked um, three nights a week and on Sunday. And I worked in the furrier department. The manager wanted somebody that had no knowledge of furs whatsoever so she could teach somebody how to do things because she came from Bloomingdale's out of New York and she wanted someone that was responsible to show up to work basically because it's hard to feel someone coming in on a Sunday to work in a place that was high trafficked like your like your fur department so she taught me all about furs of how they were made how to look at them when you go to buy them um, the quality of the skins all types of craftsmanship that went into that that I had no clue. Again, nothing that I was ever familiar with growing up there in, in Indian camp. So I got to learn how those were made. And so that was that was a fun period of working up there at um, Neiman Marcus, using the discount to buy the clothes that I would then wear to, to Chevron. Mm-hmm. So I always looked um, like a million dollars wearing all these um, designer um, clothes, but I was getting them at these half your sales using my money that I made there to buy them. And then once I left San Francisco, I moved up to Seattle and I started working for MCI, which we called most change instantly because it was chaotic. Uh, the telecommunication industry at that time was, was evolving and um, it was a fast paced, quick environment. And it was just a lot of, a lot of fun, but I got to meet a good friend of mine that um, um, is with ESPN, Mr. Kenny Maine. And he was selling telecommunications back then. And um, he would go down to the um, um, basketball practice for the Sonics. And Sean Kemp was one of, their, one of the big names there that played in Seattle. 
um, along with Gary Payton, but he would go down and take stats in their games and then just fax them out from work to ESPN for free. And he just kept doing it. So I asked him one day, why do you do that? You know, why are you? He goes, oh, I just enjoy doing it. He said, they don't have any coverage out here for some of these games. And he did it for the Mariners um, as well. Um, and so he wasn't doing it for the Seahawks, but I know the Mariners and, and definitely the Sonic um, that he would take stats and send out. And I, he wanted me to come to practice with him down there. Well, he didn't have to be in the office because he was in sales. Mm-hmm. I had to be in the office because I was, you know, I was um, – working IT on that end. So, of course, you know, they would ask where we were, where I was, if I was gone any longer than an hour for lunch. So I couldn't go down and watch practice. He would get passes to to to, to get, go onto the court and record interviews. And he was interviewing a lot of the players and then just typing it up and sending it. And so long after I left Seattle, um, I got married and living in Stillwater, Oklahoma at the time, and we turned on ESPN, and there he is in the desk, and I'm like, what in the heck is Kenny doing at ESPN? But um, my dad and Kenny and I, one quick story, we um, we got to see, um, we'd go to ball games together, because he, he enjoyed going, and his girlfriend didn't care to go, and my dad was a sports nut, and um, we, um, we would go to ball games um, together out there in Seattle, and, you know, we're buying tickets at the time, you know, and now Kenny can probably get into any or he can get into any sports venue without having to worry about, you know, getting a ticket at the time. So um, that was that was that was fun to see that transpire into what he did. But, yeah, I, I worked out there and um, we used to go out. My dad and I used to go over to across um, the sound and buy salmon from various Indian tribes out there would be selling their their salmon out of um Oh, off the side of the road, they would fillet it and then they would put a spigot and smoke it for you. And they would have uh, meat packing paper available. And a lot of them was just sitting in bathtubs with ice. And they would fish right there off, right off the water and bring it in. And we would get a huge one for like $5. And they would wrap it in, um, in paper. As we drove back to Seattle, you could smell it and you could feel the warmth of that. Um, uh, smoked salmon and we would just open it up slowly and surely and by the time we got back home about two-thirds of that was left we'd eat about a third of it <laughs> just eating it right out of the paper there so then my dad also would go and get fortune cookies that um, were miss um i guess how they time up and then you present with the little paper in there for them they were um ones they would throw away but they wouldn't throw them away they would sell you a big huge bag for five dollars so we had salmon and fortune cookies that was in abundance that uh, we would snack on. So that was like, you know, as healthy as you can get. But, um, yeah, after a while you get sick of eating salmon all the time. But now, I, you know, I kind of miss it. Um, no, I don't kind of. I really miss it. But um, those are some fun things that I think back about, um, you know, when I was in my 20s, um, kind of making my way through what I want to do in life, you know, trying to figure it out. And, you know, at that time you can't be – um, bothered by real things that you got to make decisions on. You know, you're you're trying to trying to make it as real as you can, but it's as fun as you can. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's kind of a little bit about living out there on the on the left coast. And then I ended up moving to Albuquerque and working for a hospital there and doing IT stuff. Um, and that was fun. You know, I enjoyed the cuisine out there in uh, New Mexico. Never had opportunity to eat red or green chilies didn't know what was for what and so really got uh, interested in that and so Albuquerque was a cool place to live and then I moved to Florida and I thought I could play um, on the Cruise Light volleyball tour and really became um, 
kicked down a notch to say, you know, my mom said, you need to leave that pipe dream alone and get you a real job. And so that lasted five months of trying to do that and realized I needed to come back to my senses and, and headed back to California to work and ended up stopping in and, and Pahaska and started working on a gaming project. Um, that's when they had paper play and, um, we, um, few of us would work there in the uh, Wake and Iron Hall around selling pool tabs or selling packets of uh, bingo packets for them to play paper play. And I started noticing that, you know, I could only play one one sheet. And half the time, um, the person across from me, she would be dobbing her 10 sheets and mine as well because I couldn't keep up fast enough. But I realized that you could play more than one at a time and you could probably play a number of them if they were electronically done in terms of um, doing them and exponentially of, of maybe a hundred at a time. And the more that you could play, the more money you would make um, for, for a facility, for a tribe actually. And so I looked at these, what they called handhelds at the time, and they could play up to 100 or 200 of these games and they would, they would play them fast and you could just plug in the number and it would dob however many cards you had. And so I worked with a friend of mine, Libby, on trying to develop a high-stakes gaming facility. Now, her knowledge base was that she worked in them, and she knew the ins and outs. And the two of us put together a five-point proposal that um, we submitted to the Osage tribe. And the deal would have gone through, except at that time, they wanted to own land that um, it was family-owned that wasn't for sale. It was like we would do a percentage off of the off of their uh, revenue, but not um, a complete sale of the property. So that went to the side, and then all of a sudden, I see VGT, which I became later employed by, making what appeared to be slot machines, and they were the reels were just displayed only. There, there was nothing that correlated between your reels and and what um, was construed as a winner. It all became off of what the games would be, whether it be a blackout or 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 you know, the variation of, of, of um, designs of those uh, games that they played. So that's how they could take and even take it another notch up. And now today, as you see, um, they're playing them just like a slot. But the reels, again, in Class 2 don't mean anything other than for entertainment only. Mm-hmm. So after I stayed around in Oklahoma doing that, I ended up um, um, living here. And I got married and um, moved to Stillwater, and we enjoyed um, College Town. I was born in Stillwater initially until I was about four or five, then I moved to Pahaska. And um, I worked for Mercruiser, and I was a, a database administrator for them. And we used to go to all the um, basketball games and football games. I took a computer class once, um, one semester, so I could get the um, student pack for for the games and so we would go to all the wrestling events we'd go to all the things you could do and i took that c plus class just because i wanted to um get cheap tickets to go to all the college activities around there because we were both sports nuts at the time Mm -hmm. and really enjoyed getting to uh see stillwater from a different light not as a student but as a young adult um late 20s going into my 30s and then um moved to tulsa and started working for a number of companies Bank of Oklahoma, like I said, VGT, Society of uh, Geophysicists, um, Williams, uh, Williams Communications, um, 
and the tribe also is a gaming uh, chairman of the gaming commission. So all of that tied into a well-rounded um, career in IT, information technology, and started out with being a systems analyst to a quality assurance analyst to a business analyst and to a project manager and working around small um, projects to very complex, large enterprise projects. And um, from that, that's kind of the, the backbone of the education um, that I received in terms of, I call it education because you're learning technology as it changes and transforms. You know, you're, what you learn today is going to change by tomorrow. And so you had to stay on top of a continual learning cycle of technology, not only to do your job, but also to implement systems that a lot of the companies would buy to change the way they're operating, change their profit margins, increase their their market, um, so forth and so on. So learned a lot of that. Um, you know, I never saw myself as being a, a, a minority, um, although I was one of the only Native Americans that I ever worked around. Um, I didn't really meet a lot in the workforce. Now, there's probably some that were that, you know, they didn't appear to be, but um, I didn't see myself as being any different working around them. And you worked around, I worked around very highly talented, um, educa highly educated, smart individuals, and you really didn't have time to to get to know someone from a socialist perspective because we were working on a number of projects at any given time. So you may have four projects you're assigned to. Um, to make it easy, you may be um, allocated 25% on each project. So you've got to manage your workload within within those confines. Um, it made it interesting to, to learn how to deal in a fast-paced environment and how to negotiate timelines and budgets and, and what the customer wanted. In other words, you're putting a system in for some department. That department is your customer. Those people, those users, the user base is your customer. And so you had to be able to tell them, well, we can't put that in, but we could put this in. There's limitations to, to a lot of the technology at the time. And it still is, and you have to overcome that. You have to come around and provide that solution to to your um, user base so with all of that sort of tied in together it made it easy for me to learn how to think outside the box and um, and so with that being said you know I, I was able to uh, garner a pretty good um, track record and um, like I said it was an education because you're continually learning you know outside of the sitting down book learning type of opportunity so that's kind of a little bit about myself about from a, of a work perspective um i know it's kind of lengthy but um there was a lot going on in a short amount of time i thought um and it flew by you know as we get older you look back in hindsight and how quick things change how quick things evolved and i just continued to be in the right space for things to happen like that. So I took advantage of it. A lot of training went involved, was involved. A lot of certifications from that training um, that I was able to um, to to get. Um, and the opportunities those companies provided. And so I was very indebted to a lot of my managers I had, a lot of the VPs that I worked under who allowed me the opportunity to be trained on their dime so that I could continue 
working and and moving forward in in my career. Hmm. Drew, you've been everywhere. <laughs> it somewhat seems like that, you know, when you look back and yeah. and you know, um, you think, gosh, I, you know, it seems like it was yesterday, you know, and and you know, in my twenties, I, I I don't know, I guess because you're getting older, you think back more about things back in that time frame, and it just seems like it was it was yesterday. And then some things, you know, that happened ten years ago seem like they were further out than than those ten years. Yeah. I know, man, I can't believe how much, <clears throat> how time flies. I mean, me and my buddy Charles, we talk about, because we met at IA, and uh-huh. we went to IA in 2007, the fall of 2007. Okay. And it just feels like it was the other day we went there. <laughs> I mean, but years have passed, like 15 years have passed since that time. And it's so weird just to think back, like, I don't know. It, like it's crazy. Like time's crazy to me. I mean, yeah. it's just I I can't believe how much how many years have gone by. And blink of an eye, man. Like <laughs> I mean, it, I don't know. It, it freaks me out sometimes. <laughs> I know. That's when I I came to realize how quick it falls by when I had children. You know, my oldest, you know, she's 21 and I can't even fathom that. It just, when I say that, it just seems like, wow, wait a minute. She was like four, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think about the time that I, she learned how to walk up um, a set of stairs for the first time. And we had an apartment. Um, She did it holding her little hand went around my finger and Mm -hmm. I would just kind of lift up and she would take one step at a time. And she got so proud of herself when we got to the top. And that just seems like that was there. And then I look back and she's 21 and, She's going to be a senior at OSU, and I couldn't be more proud of her for the things that she's done and her quest to become a young lady. You know, she's going to go to law school, and she gets out, and it's just crazy to even think that she's to that age. And my youngest is, um, she's an eighth grader. She just finished. She's going to be going to high school next year, and that is crazy. And she's taller than both Gabrielle and her mom, and I'm thinking, where did the time go, you know? And I still feel like I'm young. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've aged with that as well. And they, they remind me of that all the time. Dad, you're you're almost gray. And I'm like, no, not really. It's the, the jail that I have in my hair. And um, I look back when I take a picture. I'm like, dang, I am old. Older, I should say. But, um, you know, kids really put that perspective when you're talking about 15 years, you know, that you remember that. I can remember 15 years flying by with with both of my girls and, and, you know, my youngest, she's 14. So I, she's not 15 years yet in that, but it, it is crazy. She's going to be starting high school, you know, and then, um, and then she'll be driving a year after that and mm-hmm. she's graduating. I mean, it's just like, it's, it needs to slow down. I know it needs to slow down. <laughs> Life is changing too freaking fast for me. It is, man. It's crazy how this is, I don't know, like, once you start thinking about it, <laughs> then it's like, wow. Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, it doesn't really seem like much, but if you sit down and you actually think about, like, your daughters or, like, the past stuff you've done and everything, like, you've been through or whatever, then it's like, wow. You know, it's time's crazy. <laughs> but that's cool, though, man. Like, and then you, you've been all over – and you've gotten all this experience and you've made connections, you've networked, you've learned all this stuff. And then you bring it back here, you know, back home. Mm-hmm. So 
what why did you want to run for congress and then what like what what makes you feel like you're that person to be in there i guess yeah it's a good question um you know there's been points during um my my tenure that i've been asked to run um on various occasions and i really didn't feel like um that i was worthy of it you know um you know growing up in in indian camp and growing up around that that elongska and that drum and and dancing at an early age it was like four or five when i started dancing and you know, I've been dancing over 50 years and most places, like if I, you know, I'm coming up on 25, 26 years or so of IT experience and, you know, you're at a senior level, you know, you, you were considered, you know, you've been around. And if you were to do that, say for 40 years, even, you know, most times you would retire or people would think, oh, you know, you've got all this experience, but that's the one humbling place that I've been around is under that arbor and I don't feel like I have I'm worthy you know I feel like I'm still a kid and there's all these elders all these older men and that have been on uh, dancing ahead of me that are dancing longer and I just you know I just sit back and listen you know I don't know anything you know it's where you feel the most humblest is is out there and I think because of that it transitions itself into you know, running for, for Congress, you, you still feel humble because of the magnitude of what our tribe, what it really truly means, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that was the first place of employment at 14 years old was working on the hill up there. Um, and I would take out, tra- I'd go after school. If I wasn't in sports, I played um, uh, football and baseball, but I didn't play basketball. So during that season, um, off season if you will, I would go up there and, and pick up trash. And at the time you could smoke in your office. So I would clean out ashtrays. And I remember cleaning out those big Osage nation ashtrays that those, um, those employees would have, and they would be full of cigarette butts. And we just dump them, we had gloves on, dump them, spray it out, clean it, set it back down, wipe off their desk, pick up their trash, you know, and it did that. And I was able to buy my first motorcycle and buy my first stereo, buy my first car, all being, um, a part-time employee up there. And so I saw a lot of that um, evolve from the BIA to the IHS to the CHR programs. And then I took typing in high school uh, my sophomore year, and I, I was so proud I got a certificate that I could type 36 words per minute. And I didn't have to take home ec because coming from a single uh, mom for – for part of that time, I already knew how to do laundry. I already knew how to sew on a button. I already knew how to cook. And so I didn't know how to type. And I knew I wanted to go to college, so I took typing. And I ended up going up to work for the BIA um, as a part-time um, um, administrator um, assistant. And so I worked in the chief's office. And that summer, I would type up minutes from council meetings. I would type up file folders. I would type up labels. I would file. Um, I'd go pick up donuts for the council meetings. I would clean up the council room after their meetings. But the most unique thing is I was able to go. Um, my boss, who well, her name was Norma Jean Mays, she um, was the chief secretary, and she said to me one time, you need to come in and sit and listen to these council meetings 
because they're to do with our business and you need to learn that aspect of it. So I'd go in, we'd sit in the back and listen to what they would talk about and what they would debate or negotiate. And I thought that was most fascinating. And then a lot of my friends would make fun of me because I would have loafers on, but they were out there weed eating. You know, when I look out the window on my desk, they're out there in 105 degree weather, weed eating and mowing. And I'm like, who's making fun of who now? You know, but anyway, <laughs> learning how to do all that during those years, really, you know, you don't think a lot about it until it kind of starts hitting you. And then my mom retired after 36 years working as a community health representative up there. So I knew a lot of people that worked up there, a lot of the programs and, and what they did. Um, and then after coming back home with all this experience, um, you know, I always thought, how can I help contribute to my tribe? Because living away from home, uh, I was always asked from people, well, not asked, I was always spoken to in Spanish. Well, moving to Los Angeles, you know, no one once said, oh, what tribe are you? They were like, oh, look, I'm a in. I was like, no, I'm Indiano, you know, and um, they didn't think that I was Indian or thought to speak to me other than in Spanish. And then when I moved to San Francisco, they spoke to me in Tagala and thought I was Filipino. Mm-hmm. You know, Pundangamo. And I'm like, no, I'm not Filipino. I'm Native American. I'm Indian. And and so uh, when I got to Seattle, finally a few people would ask me what tribe I was. But those Indians up there in Seattle were real kind of stoic. They didn't joke around like we do back here. You know, we're a bunch of clowns back here in Oklahoma. You know, you, you could tell when you go to an Oklahoma powwow versus a non-Oklahoma powwow because some of those MCs, some of the, the 80s and, and people, they don't they don't jack around, joke around as much as like we do here, you know. And so it, you can always tell the difference. But, um, you know, growing up back here, I always, you know, and missed being around my own when I was away from home, you know, living in, in California or living in Washington State, always missed it. And so when I would come home, I would always want to be around, you know, people that I grew up with there in, in the camps. And there's a group of us that we grew up together. Some have already passed on, but we... we play off of each other, making fun of each other, laughing with each other, joking with one another, but we have nothing but love and admiration because we're we're the same. We're no different. We're just Osages. You know, there's no label of how much Osage one person is versus the other. We're all Osage, you know, that I grew up with. And so over time, I didn't feel like it was time for me to run. Um, I have a background of uh, volleyball, I started learning when I went out to California, but I played for 16 years competitive um, sand volleyball, but also started coaching when I moved back to Oklahoma, and I own my own volleyball club, and I've been coaching club volleyball for 23 years. Uh, This is the first year that I hadn't coached because of having a knee replacement and a a hip replacement, and just just couldn't take the pain being on the court anymore because I'm a hands-on type of coach. I have to be up and around. I don't sit down. And so I was just in too much – it was too much discomfort to coach. So I didn't do it, and it allowed me to think of a lot of the things I didn't have a chance to think about. And one of them was, you know, being part of, um, you know, our tribe and, and, you know, running for for office. And so I was asked by my sister Mary uh, Mashankashe, to consider that and for the first time I really did take to considering that when when it was mentioned and we started visiting 
and we pulled in a number of people to talk about, um, you know, what ifs, what does it take, what do you need to have, and like some people would say, oh, well, you didn't live here for a while. No, but I grew up here, and I have the cultural background part of it. Uh, and that's one of the things that, from a sovereignty perspective, I've always wanted to enhance is our is is, is that is that part of it. Um, I've always wanted to be inundated around Indians, um, especially when you don't live around here and you live somewhere else. You really miss miss that, you know, because that's what you've grown up to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, you you'd mentioned I've been around. But it was at home as much as it is when you get off the plane and you're in Tulsa and you drive across the county into Osage County, you know, and then you drive further into Indian camp and all of a sudden you're home, you know. That's that's what I miss. But um, And taking back, you know, a lot of the things that I grew up around and, and things that I'd seen, I felt it was time, time for me to help contribute back to my tribe, time for me to contribute back to my family, who, you know, you don't always have to be blood related to be family. You know, there's there's people that I was raised around that are more my family than my own blood and family. If you, 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 you know that, mm-hmm. you know, being, being Indian, we, we have that. Um, we have that in a lot of um, families. And so I just felt I could contribute, you know, from my knowledge base to my skill set to all that's involved from negotiating to problem solving, to looking at things from a different perspective, ask, asking the right questions. You know, the one thing I always, always, always taught was, um, you know, when you when you have an issue, everyone wants to raise their hand. Hey, 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 I got this, but a few people will come and say, well, what what's the solution to that? You know, um, my managers are never impressed that we would find something because that was the nature of the beast. You're always going to find something. That's, that's what we're there for. You know, we're, we're in it. We're going to find an issue, but the name of the game was, what is the solution to that? So if you find an issue, come to the table with that issue, but also be prepared to talk about possible solutions to that, because we've got to take that to that level. You got to fix whatever it is that's broken. And so having that ability to see things that don't, continually work right or they have a hiccup in the way they operate um you know i've i've been given that perspective of recognizing things to that magnitude and being able to help with those things you know um optimization uh, prioritization um learning the various aspects to how to make something bigger better and stronger and so I thought I can do that on a personal note, too, and negotiating with people, people across the aisle, per se, um, helping people with their cause and being a lawmaker, um, drafting uh, legislation and being able to sift through legislation, doing your research, finding what the solution may be to an existing problem. So I just felt it was time to give back. And I just felt that in, in my heart. Uh, more than anything it wasn't a, a decision based off of anything else aside from it being from the heart to help my own Osage people and really became in tune with that uh, while I was doing well, how I met you you know we met um, I, was, I was we were coming off of Killers of the Flower Moon 
and going to Res Dogs there at Circle Cinema. Mm-hmm. And we all got 40 of us together that first time, I think. And we went out <laughs> as a group of all these Indians that were from from cast from both both sets. And that was that was pretty cool. And so when I met you and I knew you were doing this realm um, of podcast, I thought, man, this is going to be pretty cool. And, and doing that movie... And I knew of the story. I, you know, most of us that that are Osage know of that story, and it's more vast than what the book is. Um, mm-hmm. it, it it's there were more families involved than that, and and it it really is a tragedy, um, because once we what we had versus what was taken from us, what was stolen from us, you know, how we died for for our cause, um, it really hit home going to set. You know, I was on it for five months. And, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I worked around Jesse Plemons or Leo or um, Bobby De Niro's, what they always called him. Um, but it was it was more than that when you find that you're able to help tell that story by being a part of it because of who you are, being Osage and understanding that. And it really made me have a sense of pride that, you know, we really are just just people. And so if I can help that, then that's what I felt being asked this time to run Mant. So that's why I decided to throw my hat in the ring and try to give back if elected to help our tribe progress further. Because you need to have progressive thinkers. You know, you need to have uh, individuals that can think outside the box. And you need individuals to see a vision. You know, what is the visionary plan to make something happen, whether it's um, enhance a revenue stream or it's to create a revenue stream or it's to fix something that is tied to that revenue stream. So there's so many complexities to tribal politics that, you know, I'm, I'm learning as I go, but I'm a quick study. I, I learn very quickly on things. And so I really wanted to, um, as I got more involved and started um, learning about a lot of things, um, from that from that um, perspective, it really enhanced my decision more so to know this is the right time to run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's always like the uh, that's always the best answer because to me, there's really no like f- reason why you're running. It's just like you feel it in your yes in your soul, your mm-hmm. heart, your mind. Like you just there's like something just not like nagging you, but you just feel something like, like you want to do it. Like you feel like you're ready or maybe you don't feel like you're ready, but you still want to do it. But because you, you like, you've, you've done all these things and you've created all this, um, communication and you've been here, you've been there and you came back and there's like so much knowledge that you can, you know, provide for your tribe. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, that's the best thing is, like, being progressive, like you were saying, like, think outside of the box. I can't agree with you more. Uh, I probably can't speak on it. But, <laughs> but, sure you can. Sure you can. Uh, with with my own, uh, you know, we're, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> but, no, but, I mean, like, that's, that's what I believe, too. It's like, you know, you want to be, you want to think like that, like, you don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Like, especially if it's not even working, like yeah. what other ways are there to bring your tribe like revenue or like, I mean, what, what else, what else is there? Like, I mean, like revenue is like a big thing. 
like I think that's like what everybody strives for. I mean, Osages they have that meat market too. Yeah. And that was like that's a that's something like other tribes can be doing as well, but you want to you know, diversify yourself definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean like you want to be that front runner, you want to be like the person that sets the standards, mm-hmm. right? Like and I mean like you know, Osages are them and a few other tribes are always like it seems like steps ahead, steps ahead, and they're not afraid to try something new. It may fail, so what? Like we'll just pick up the pieces and keep going. Exactly, exactly. You know, and I mean, like that's the thing. Like you just can't be afraid to fail. Um, but I wanted to ask you too. Now, this whole McGirt trial. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the status of that for the Osage? Well, you know, right now we're in the appellate, you're in the appeals court trying to get um, res- reservation status. Mm-hmm. Um, I support that, um, the McGirt ruling, um, because it is expanding upon our sovereignty. You know, you have, I live here in Jinx. Um, and so most of Tulsa is, um, with the exception of Osage County, which is the northern portion of the, of the city, is Creek tribal land mm-hmm. so if getting pulled over means pulling out your membership card or your cdib and saying hey i need light horse to come and um if it's the simple thing is i don't want to give revenue to the state that's our prerogative because now we're a part of that ruling but um i would like to see you know us be granted that same thing so we have the same status um from from the tribe's perspective and then it's going to take um an infrastructure behind that monies to build that that up so that we're able to provide the services that we need to to um govern um ourselves with regards to that ruling so i'm i'm definitely um in support of that Mm, okay yeah it can get a bit confusing you know because i remember when it first started not a lot of people knew what it was but you know as Everything went on, then stood. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it got crazy, but, you know, like, uh, I didn't know how the Osages would, you know, be about that or, mm-hmm. you know, what, what what would even happen. So it's interesting to hear, you know, what, you know, your thoughts and what you know. So. Yeah, we just need to get that status um, back in our favor, and it's in the, in the court system, um, and hopefully it's not going to take that long for – um, for us to peel that to get it approved and, and continue moving forward so we can build that infrastructure out mm-hmm. and, uh, and and govern to that to that level. And then before we before we even hit record, we were talking about uh, the Osage Clinic. Mm-hmm. And then what are your thoughts about that and maybe a shift to, you know, a certain like gaming commission entity or, you know, what we were talking about earlier? Oh, an autonomous um, um, board. Yeah, there's been um, a lot of issues that I've been abreast of um, here lately um, on how the efficiencies or non-efficiencies on something's running, how there's uh, unsatisfactory uh, response to the time it takes to get into an appointment, how long you wait on an appointment, uh, the scrutiny of meds that uh, are needed. Um, so there's a whole array of things that I'm I'm hearing out there that are not in the best light, if you will. Um, 
you know, my thought is if you have a board, your board is to govern over over certain entities and they they don't meet every day. You know, that's not their purpose. They're not there to be a 40 hour week board. They're there to meet um, however they're set up, whether it's once a month, twice, twice a month, whatever. But I think for our clinic to work, you know, they're talking about, you know, building a new or bigger one. But they need to get this one fixed. And I think what it's going to take is they need to have administrator, um, at least a top-level, highly regarded administrator in the medical field to be the one to help drive these processes and improvement. Um, you know, time is money, obviously. Mm-hmm. So right now you're not very efficient. So the cost is probably crazy as well. They need to have an administrator, I, I believe, just from my perspective, to help the processes of improvement. You know, are there even processes outlined here for some of these issues that I'm hearing? So with that being said, you need to have those um, PNIs set up so that you can run effectively and you have um, people in place to, to mitigate those should an issue arise. And that doesn't need to go back to a doctor. A doctor shouldn't be the administrator because the doctor has enough to, to do in terms of providing health care and writing reports and follow-ups and that type of thing. They don't have time to take the day-to-day brunt of, of complaints that come around because you have your elders waiting too long for an appointment or waiting too long um, to get an appointment. Um, same thing with a pharmacist. You know, their, their job is to fill quickly and get you in and out the door. They don't have time to start taking on a bunch of headaches um, as well as your optometrist or your, your, um, your dentist. So I don't think that um, those type of um, professional employees should be your, your administrator. You need to have an administrator that is all they do is administer whether they're over all of it or there's an administrator and they got a couple of assistants that work under them that help push those processes along to take on those complaints you know um you know whether you're you're delivering your meds within a certain amount of time or your appointments are um done quickly and effectively and you're not waiting um for a long period of time to to get in and get out so i feel like that board could continue to exist you know um it just needs to probably be structured to where it's most effective with that administrator um and and sort of office if you will to govern and to ensure that processes are being dealt with um because they're all different you know your medical Mm -hmm. records going to be different the way your pharmacy runs obviously um your optometrist your optometry department is going to be different than your contract health so all of those those different entities need to have um, processes and improvements laid out with them so that that's how you measure your performance of your employees. If you're doing reviews on your employees, then what are you measuring against? You know, so you need to have those key indicators um, established so that everyone knows what you're kind of marching to um, and reward those individuals Um whether it's monetary or time off or whatever, you know, they need to be given some sort of um, 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 reward for, for going above and beyond. You know, you're going to find those employees that just continue to do the, the mundane, you know, same thing over and over and over. 
and there's no improvement in, in, in the processes that they're doing. Um, but you also have to have technology brought in there as well. And that sometimes a software, you know, to help you run a department or run a system better and more effective and efficient. Um, it may cost money up front, but in the long term, it's going to um, save you savings and money because you're running at a, at a more effective rate. You're running at a more optimal rate. And so you need to have an investment of, of, of software um, or technology, if you will, uh, in addition to administrators that know what they're doing within the healthcare. You want to hire, if it's hiring outside, then you hire outside. Um, if you have an HR department that are they key um, to run in against the issues that happen in a medical um, environment? You know, they're a little bit different from, from some other departments. So you have a, a whole set of issues that are probably isolated more so um, than anywhere else. So can you operate within your HR group effectively in, in that in that um in that environment with those employees. So I think, you know, you just need to take a step at, peel it back and see where the pressure points are, where the pain points are, um, what's not working, what's not efficient, and, and start really baselining where your deficiencies are. And then is there a backlog of these issues that have already been, you know, escalated or have always exist that already exist, but you need to take that and you need to start prioritizing where you can make the most effective and quickest punch available. And then which ones are you going to have that are going to structure around cost that you got to, you got to purchase something mm -hmm. to make something. So there's, there's a, a, um, a ways around how you prioritize those issues, how you look to, um, sort of move things around to enhance what you already have because you have talented people up there you know you have doctors and pharmacists optometrists you know they're talented and so you know you want to try and get as much out of them from from that standpoint than from them trying to be an administer over something because they just don't have the, the time to do it i don't think if you're trying to run effectively mm -hmm. so that's that's the thing i think you know gaming commission you know um, their job is to regulate. Uh, they're regulators. So I don't know how um, any different that would be other than they regulate gaming. They got to regulate the games that are on the floor. They come in from various vendors. They come with various back-end systems. They have different holds. And so you've got to regulate those. You got to test those and ensure they're within the parameters of what your hold uh, variations are. You got to make sure that your disclaimers are correct in terms of your payouts and do they match up against the artwork on the machines. You got to make sure that um, you're, they're going to operate um, at a very high rate instead of shutting down. Some, some, some games, you know, they're, they have a tendency to maybe drop uh, uh, below an efficient rate that you want. So you have to test those out. So, really just regulating you're doing your audits you're doing your reporting um and you're making sure you're in compliance with the nigc uh you have your ticks and your mix that you need to follow so as a regulator that is a little bit different than what an administrator would do um but all of which are being measured on the structure of what you run and what you operate on so i think to be optimal um, the clinic needs to have um, administrator and some assistance around that so that each and every one of those departments um, can run effectively. And it eased the pain points of 
of your customer, which are your your um, people coming up there sick. The last thing a sick person wants to do is sit around in a clinic and wait for um, you know an hour, hour and a half, if not longer, to be seen by a doctor. And then they don't want to wait for another 45 minutes or so for a prescription. Uh, and then they don't want to go in and they're in true dire pain and they're getting scrutinized because they're seeking relief that uh, everyone's you know thinking, oh, because they're up here um, ill that they're seeking opioids. And that's not always the case. You know, there's a place and point for that. And not everybody's trying to get over on that. A lot of times people are in dire pain. They have, they have, um, you know, cancer or they have, um, broken bones or they've got, um, long-term illnesses and, and they need some relief from that. So, you know, I just think that would be one of the things that I would personally be, um, in a, in favor of is looking to see where you could implement some administration personnel to be able to handle these issues, to put those, um, key indicators around and make it more efficient. So you don't have a, a backlog of issues or backlog of people waiting, um, to be seen and get, you want to get people in and out and you want to do it as quickly as you can, but most effectively as you can. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's crazy how, how long you have to wait yeah I, know. IHS. I remember you know as a kid if i got sick then my grandma would take me to the ihs and i knew it was <laughs> going to be a full day we get there at 8 a.m and we leave like around three or two this would be a full day of just sitting in the in the lobby it's that that was crazy like i look back on it it's like wow i really we really sat in there all day yeah you get there you check in you wait then you go back there and I guess they take your weight and all that and you mm-hmm. they send you back out. Okay, just hold on for a doctor. You really think you're close. <laughs> I know, like and then you wait like leaving longer for the doctor and then it's like, oh man. See, that's what, you know, patient satisfaction patient satisfs I'm sitting here trying to think and talk at the same time. Patient satisfaction satisfaction mm-hmm. <laughs> i was gonna try to say it but i was like i'm gonna mess it up too <laughs> yeah that's that's a key performance indicator you know um being satisfied mm-hmm. and so your patients being satisfied all wrap themselves around the time frame that it takes you to walk through the door than walking out of that door um so you're right you know and it's it's pretty bad when you have indians from around the way that all can relate to that aspect that you just talked about yeah you know that just tells you ihs has some band-aids that they need to be changing out and getting away with them so that they can start providing some of these measures to help people get get through there but that's that's just a a prime example you know you just hit that right on the head um because you need to have um you know you should appoint um you know your administration your administrators with the experience that is conducive to the medical field. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you're, you're putting people in place that don't necessarily have that experience, but you can't have a board that runs something that they're not there on a day-to-day basis because there's the boots on the ground are not there. Um, regardless if you're meeting once a month, twice a month, you're just not there enough to where you're able to make an impact to things. All you're, you're really doing is assessing what the problem might be and you're going out and thinking, I can make this change, and that change isn't very effective because you're not meeting enough. And so then it just continues to magnify itself, and it snowballs until you get really dissatisfied people. And, um, you know, and also 
you know, there's people that do go up there that have insurance. And so you want to make sure, you know, um, can you have revenue produced from that? Um, so there's, there's a lot of things I think that can be taken into consideration when you talk about reorganizing something to be more effective and more efficient. Mm-hmm. My buddy had a, my buddy's, his name is Dakota Six Killer. He's a stand up comedian. And oh, okay. he had this joke. He had this joke. He said, uh, he was on stage and he said, man, he's like, if for some reason I, you know, I get, let's say I get stabbed, right? He's like, did you know, did I know where I got to go? And he said, <laughs> I got to go to Claremore. I got to drive all the way to Claremore and then I got to wait. <laughs> <laughs> And then, exactly. like, some of the, the natives that were there, man, we were cracking up, and he was like, he's like, you guys get it. And then, like, everybody else didn't get it because they don't understand, like, yeah. the wait time and it being in jurisdiction of, like, clinics, IHSs and stuff. So, man, I, where yeah, I was like, cracking I go to up. urgent care, and I'm in there maybe five, ten minutes before I'm called back because I got Blue Cross and Blue <laughs> yeah. Shield, you know, and... um and then my my meds are delivered. By the time I get home, they're sitting at the doorstep. Yeah, see, they don't get that. Yeah, they don't they understand don't that. Did they get the joke? You know, and and you know, you're thinking, you know, what is a copay? You know, I know, they, right? They, yeah. So, yeah, it's a little bit different, you know, sock uh, to wear than than some others. But um, yeah, that cracks me up because they some of them don't even get what you're talking about. Why is that funny? Now, nah, right? Yeah. Nah, why, why are you laughing? Why? Is, why would you wait? <laughs> Why are you driving all the way over there? Yeah, why do you go that far when you, there's an urgent care in about every every ten minutes? You know, every ten miles you can pull in and, and go to St. John, St. Francis, whatever. You know. Oh man, that's yeah, that's some good points you brought up. You know, and it's it's things to think about. It's things to, you know, because people do think about it. But I think what brought it to light even more was that Res Dogs episode. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> HS episode, <laughs> and everybody in that theater, we were all there. We we're like, oh yeah, yeah, we all it's true. To it. Yeah, there's like forty of us Indians <laughs> yeah. in there going, I know that. Yeah, yeah. we're we're that represented about fifteen different tribes at a minimum, yeah. and everyone got it. Everybody. <laughs> That's what made that uh, so unique. Whenever we showed up to go there, you know, because we're we're cut off of one set, and we're going to support you know, our native brothers and sisters that are off of another set. And then we all met up in the lobby and there's picture after picture and there's like 40 of us. Yeah. But the whole time we're sitting in there, we're all laughing at the same things because everybody understands and gets it, you know? Yeah, man. I can't wait for season two so we can all do that again. <laughs> that was so fun every Monday. I know. That was like I couldn't wait for Mondays to come, you know? Yeah. And you get there, then every, the first thing you do, all right, everyone must get for a picture. And there we go again, everyone lining up, <laughs> taking a... 20 pictures to put on facebook and then where are we going we're going to mcnelly yeah we're going here you know and then you're going there and and that's how i met you that's how i met brandy that's how i met you know a lot of the the different people that i'm you know in touch with on facebook that you know support what their endeavors are you know mm-hmm. things that they do and that was cool because you're you're an indian being around other indians and we're not just you know indians off the res well some of us are not myself but um but no, you're you're out in a in 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 a city and enjoying you know camaraderie and enjoying each other's company. But it was cool just to see the the different um, 
you know, the different um, pieces of jewelry that everybody had on, you know, because <laughs> yeah. everyone's got different, you know, native type of designs and stuff. And you're like, oh, that's a cool hat, man. All right, man, I like that ring. Yeah, I like that, you know. <laughs> and then, um, what tribe are you? Okay, yeah, well, I'm this tribe. Well, you know this one? Yeah, I know this guy. Yeah, I know that. You know, so everyone kind of knows, you know, someone, um, someone um, that you run across knows somebody that you know, you know, and it just kind of is a vast opportunity for all of us to sit back and get to know one another but what's more important is that, that we have laughter yeah and and that's what i'm talking about like some of these states i've lived in you get around those indians and they just look at you when you start laughing you go that was a j-o-k-e joke you know? <laughs> and they are like looking it's like what and i'm like okay you know and they're stoic you yeah know? or they, they they think it's not cool you know if you're laughing you should be you know i'm a serious indian I was like, whatever, you know, <laughs> I'm the biggest clown <laughs> there is when I was going to school. Same here. Last <laughs> cut up, boy. My mom used to say, you can't be entertained 24 hours a day. And I said, I can dang sure try. But you're the one that's preventing it from happening. <laughs> but yeah, you never tell your mom you're bored. Boy, I did that one time and I never would say that again. But yeah, I always thought I was special. I always thought I had to be entertained or I had to, you know, as we call in Osage language, Elompa. First son, you know, where you get more of the, you know, uh, special treatment, if you will, mm-hmm. because you're that firstborn, you're that first son. So there's a few of us that, um, like my good brother Curtis Bear, we're always talking about being Elompas, you know, but he's really not Elompa. He just gets to be treated like one. He's got an older brother, but he's the one that's treated like he's he's the the first Osage. And so we always have a, a good time teasing each other about that. <laughs> Man, yeah. I mean, just the community we built going to those shows and then meeting everybody and I mean, I I seriously can't wait for season two to drop. So I know, I know. Man, I mean it's so much fun. Everybody go hang out with us uh Monday nights at Circle Cinema. It's free. <laughs> <laughs> Overstay's free. It's free. Be there. Be there early. So you make sure you get yourself in there. And look at everybody's clothes. <laughs> No, <laughs> that was true though, you know. Yeah, I know everybody get fresh. I yeah, get, I get all. I'd wear my best shoes. Uh, get all Nobody dolled up. No. Everyone's dolled up. <laughs> Polish your earrings. <laughs> oh, Drew. Well, we'll wrap it up with this. Uh, okay, so do you believe in retaining our land base and expanding the land base? Oh, most definitely. You know. Um, you know, Osage County was called Osage County for a reason. Um, and, you know, I'm always about trying to acquire, you know, even from a private perspective, you know, real estate. Not that I have a large real, real estate portfolio, um, but it, it would be nice to acquire what was taken from us back, um, either a buyback or even an inheritance on some some regards. Um, on a smaller scale, but no, that we have to have that, you know, or what are we going to have? You know, I was always taught, you know, you, you want to strive to be a homeowner, um, on an individual scale. So why wouldn't you be a tribe that want to have more land as, as, as a, as a tribal entity? Um, and so being able to retain and acquire, um, and expand, is always is always something that you should be after so yeah i'm a big proponent of that and i would love to see uh, more of that come through us you know whether 
You know, and one of the things um, on a side side note is we need to be more diversified than gaming. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. gaming provides um, a lucrative um, downfall of money. Um, you know, it provides a lot of programs that we didn't have before. But we've got to we've got to enhance that with other things. There's a lot of opportunities out there that uh, a tribal government can take advantage of. Um, there are a lot of businesses that could be spurred as a result. So that you're, you know, you're enhancing, increasing um, your 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 portfolio, whether it be around real estate, or you know, oil and gas, or stock options, and and on, on a large on a large front, um, you know, one of the things I've always wanted to do, even when I was living away from here, I was always thinking, how could you get other Indian kids, you know, our tomorrows is what I call them the ones that are, are going to be carrying the torch um, long after retirement to continue to grow our, our tribe, not just my tribe per se, but in an Indian country, um, to be more um, self-sufficient. And you've got to be able to, to, to train those to do that. That's, that's where it comes from. And so I always wanted to have a training bed in IT because I had to learn a lot of it on the fly. I had to learn a lot of it from training courses um, but I had people that believed in, in me as an individual to leverage that training so that I could give back to that company. Well, why couldn't you do it for a tribe? Why couldn't you train your, your kids to be an analyst, to learn how to um, read software, learn how to, to develop software you know, as a programmer, learn how to write requirements, how to, to extrapolate business rules out of a system? You know, why couldn't you teach and train kids to software test and to not accept a, um, an output versus an input? So if you put a, a variable in and it spits out an output, how do you know that's right? So you teach them how to to do that. So why couldn't you, you do that on a larger scale so that you could, you know, not only provide that back to your, your tribe, but if they moved on and they sort of didn't live back here and so they went to school somewhere and they they worked that they could get a career in it um you know I, our tribe definitely has a lot of deficiencies within the it realm there's things i see that are still being done by printing out filling in mailing back or you know scanning and emailing and even that's getting archaic you know you need to be able to do things quick nimble fast and so there's a lot of things i see just in and around navigating through our, our website, um, our tribal website of things that can be done from a more of an IT type of uh, format or perspective of how to transmit data or how to send large amounts of data. Um, but yeah, I think I've always wanted to have a training, a bed for our kids, not only our kids, but even anyone, an adult who wants to learn how to do those things and be able to apply those not only to our tribe, but also maybe to their job or just in a career in itself. So, um, yeah, that, that's, you know, like I said, that's a sidebar to what we were talking about, but, um, no, I'm, I'm a big believer in, 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 in moving forward, being progressive, um, and, and just trying to enhance what we currently have, um, with the technologies that are continually changing out there. Um, you know, the only thing that, um, you know, you don't want to do is take a step backwards or not try. Mm. And that's probably one of my biggest pet peeves is when people don't try, you know, 
take a stab at it. How do you know you're not going to like something um, until you try? You know, that could be tasting food. That could be, you know, challenging yourself to do something from an activity or something from a, a professional standpoint. So um, with that being said, yeah, that's that's kind of my take on that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, everything, you know, I, I really truly believe that you're, you know, a good candidate. Oh, well, thank and you. you're, you. you know, you, you're well-versed in everything you're talking about. And then you, <clears throat> you've had so much um, outside training, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, you've been, you went to college and, you know, you did all these things. And then, you know, you brought it back here, you know, and that's important. That's an important thing to look at when people, you know, leave and they go off and they get educated and they network and they communicate with people, yeah. you know, and then they always bring it back here to try to help their tribe move forward, you know, never backwards, you know. So, you know, looking at that and then hearing you talk and then, you know, that's that's a few of the key points I look at is like, you know, you, you didn't you don't have to run like, you know, you could go and do whatever you want, you know, mm-hmm. but here you are, you know, you want to help your people and you want to try to, you know, become I think like, you know, everybody that should get in is like they should try to at least make their tribe the greatest tribe. Most definitely. Yeah. You know, wherever, you know, make it, you know, make everybody proud to be whatever you are. You know, that's that's what I think like a a, a, a tribal, I guess councilman, whatever they're called now. Um that should be like their goal is to like, man, how can I, you know, what can I do to make this tribe better than, you know, the rest of them? You know, what, what can I make it stand out? You know, how can we become like the greatest tribe ever? You know, and it it sounds like, you know, like a kind of a far-fetched like question to ask yourself, but for real, like, like how could you, you know, like, like you were talking about revenues and there's more than gaming, you know, there's more than that. And then just looking at all these different avenues, you know, for the tribe to get into. So, I mean, I mean, there's so many ideas, there's so many things to, like, talk about and everything, but, you know, I I believe, like, you know, you're you're a good candidate, you're a good friend, Uh, you know, I'm thankful for meeting you last year, watching Res Dogs, and is there anything else you wanted to tell everybody? Yeah, in closing, you know, June 6th, um, vote for Tiger, Drew Tiger. Um, We've got early voting uh, Thursday and Friday. If you are down with the get down, vote for Tiger. Um, and yeah, the only campaign promise I can make that I'm able to hold is that I've, I've said this a number of times is that I'll work for you. You know, you employ me, um, you hire me by voting for me, I will work for you. You know, I can promise that. I will make that effort to do all that I can to work for my people. Um, Aside from it, I can't make any other promises because I'm only a percent of a vote. And, uh, and I can't guess what is going to come down the pike um, should I get elected. I can't, you know, make a prediction on how we're all going to vote on things. But the thing that I can do is I'll work for it. You know, I'll work for my people. Uh, and I want to be a voice for that. You know, I had someone message me the other day and she said, you know, I don't know you, but I appreciate, you know, the social media things that you're doing to get your word out. And I support you. She said, but please be a voice for us. And I said, most definitely. 
not only for 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 her but for all of those sage people um because that's why i'm here that's why i'm there doing what i'm doing is to be that that vocal entity once you get in to bridge the gap mm-hmm. of things not working or things not or things that are being overlooked if you will so yeah that's that's my that's my goal is to to you know help me help you help me help you no i'm kidding <laughs> but no seriously that's that's one of the things that um that that you want to try and do is um is be that voice for those that uh, need it the loudest. Um, that's why you you vote for somebody. You know, um, there's other reasons why too, but that's that's my goal. That's my my campaign promise, and that's the only one I can make. So, vote for Drew Tiger June sixth, and um, let's make this thing happen. It's not going to happen overnight, but you got to get some progressive thinkers in there. You've got to get some people that are going to make a difference and. It's gonna. Some of them are gonna take baby steps, mm-hmm. and some of them you can take strides and leaps. But um, you know, there's a lot of work. You're gonna fight resistance. You're gonna fight prejudice. You're gonna fight um, people not agreeing with you. You're going to come up with a whole array of dissatisfaction to some degree. But are you poised to make that run? Are you experienced enough? And with thick skin enough to to take those um, issues, you know, as a coach, volleyball coach, you know, that's one thing I've got is thick skin because over 23 years, um, there's always that parent that wants to challenge you, you know, why little little Sydney's not playing as much, or we're a little piper in getting, you know, to start. Um, in the rotation, you know, and so why isn't she, she out there, she's the best. And then they start making a personal attack on you, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and a lot of coaches, they, they want to run for that. They, they don't want to um, sit there and take a, a parent chewing on them, but you have to be able to stand your ground. And always, always said, you know, in coaching, I'll never do anything that is uh, dishonest or that, that is a lack of my integrity. So I'll never have to worry about crossing any kind of a line. Um, am I hard? Yeah, I'm hard. Am I loud? You bet I'm loud, but I'm fair and I'm honest. I will be honest in how I teach my players what they need or what they're lacking and, and also praise them on what they're doing well. But it's a process of improvement. You know, um, you get some kids coming through there. They may be bigger, stronger, better, but they have a weak mind. And you got to get them on board with what your what your goal is of you know, what your game plan is for matches, you know, and, and you got to you know, hold them accountable, accountability, transparency, all of those things translate into what I teach my own daughter. I, you know, my oldest played for me for nine years and I told her, you know, you need to be resilient. You've got a lot of things going against you because you're Native American and you're a female. And those aren't things that I'm knocking those. That's realization. That's, that's the same thing with me. I'm, I'm a male, but I'm also Native American. So you've got, you know, some things against you that you got to overcome in the real world. And if you can take that on by head first, headbutt it, and keep moving, then that says something. And that starts of being able to teach, you know, kids at a young age to be resilient. Whether you're doing a team sport or individual sport or you're doing some sort of activity that teaches them to believe in themselves. And so um, that's the one thing that my mom taught me is, Hey, you can't sit there and cry over something. You can't sit there and feel sorry for yourself because nobody's going to help pick you up, but you. Mm-hmm. And so I had to steal that into my daughter 
but all through sports. You know, I had to relate things that we do in the real world to how we do things in sports. And that's, you know, not crying, giving up, not, you know, saying you're not good enough or, or whatever. You know, it's like, hey, you're, you you got to earn that. you got to work hard. And your work ethic is, is just as important as any other uh, thing that you have in terms of your self-respect. But you better learn how to get on board real quick because just people out there, the world, it's not fair out there. world is not fair. And it will eat you up in a heartbeat if you let it eat you up. But you have got to pick up, dust off, and keep making. Sometimes it's five minutes at a time. But you've got to move forward. You cannot sit there and get knocked down. Yeah, I've been knocked down plenty of times. I've been up against the wall. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I can't even explain how many times. But you have to be resilient to that. And you have to keep pushing forward. And you've got to be positive about your outlook on life. So, that's the things I've instilled in my coaching, and that's the same thing I still in my professional life as well. So, um, I'm your candidate. I can be a I can be a good team player. I am a team player. So, again, vote for me, and let's make this thing happen. Yeah, but brother, man, I appreciate it. I sure appreciate you taking the time to sit down and and host this podcast. And um, I've enjoyed it, getting to know you more, and looking forward, like you said, Res Dogs. On Monday nights, should that be on Monday night, let's do it. Let's rock and roll. It's, it's, it's good times. <laughs> good times, brother. But no. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you're welcome back anytime. Uh, maybe you can come back on and we could just hang out, sure, chill, yeah, talk or whatever, yeah. you know. But, you know, good luck to you. You know, I really hope things go your way. Um, but it'll turn out how it turns out, you know. <laughs> yep, yep. You, know, you can't, can't control, control that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's the way I look at it. You got to you know? vote. They got to vote, you know. You got to get out there. there and vote. Get out there and vote. You Exercise know? your right to vote. This is Drew Tiger running for Congress, Osage Congress. Uh, everybody get out there and vote. Early voting is Thursday, Friday, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then June 6th, get out there and vote. So don't miss this opportunity to use your voice. Um, everybody says use your voice, use your voting this is this is the time so get out there and do it let's have a big turnout and uh thanks again for letting me giving me the opportunity to do this with you oh appreciate it yeah yeah you know i've been looking forward to it and i'm glad we finally got to do it and you know i hope nothing but the best for you bro oh thank you brother thank you man but yeah appreciate you monday's season two we'll (laughs) we'll share it everybody come hang out but yeah, uh, everybody go follow Oki Podcast on Instagram at Oki Podcast at Russellmuscle49. Oki Podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. I'd say Google it and you'd find it. And go check out the website, okipodcast.com. And yeah, so thanks again, Drew. And until next time, everybody, peace. Peace out.